Hi, everybody, and welcome to Kremlin File. Olga, are we set to go? Yes, we are, and very excited about right. today's guest. Yeah, Frank Filuzzi is coming. And for Americans, Frank Figaluzzi. He's a former federal law enforcement agent and the former assistant director uh, for counterintelligence at the FBI and is currently the national security contributor, as we know, at NBC and MSNBC News. Frank also has a best-selling book called the FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence, which is a really, really good book. Frank is also the host to his own podcast, The Bureau. And each episode explores U.S. security issues, so he talks with insiders in and around the intelligence community, law enforcement, and the military, which is perfect for us because today we're going to be talking, okay, about the J6 hearings that we've all been watching glued to the TV. So without any further ado, huge, huge welcome to Frank Filiuzzi. Hi, Frank. Ah, you've used the Italian pronunciation. I I can tell you've got some you've got some Italian background. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in here Italy. in Siena, Frank. Ah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Now, the committee, Frank, has presented a lot of information, a lot of evidence up until now uh, of this conspiracy. Okay, to overthrow the elections. In your opinion, is there anything that has emerged up until now? that could lead to some sort of criminal prosecution? So I'm going to answer your last question first, because that's the big one, right? And, I, and the answer succinctly is yes. Yes, I think we are seeing evidence of crimes here. And, you know, to the extent that every day so far for the hearings has been a kind of hybrid between a made-for-television drama and a criminal grand jury presentation, I, I think this is leaning more toward uh, a criminal grand jury presentation. And particularly what we saw on Thursday was indeed um, a very adept attempt to carve out any sense of defense that Eastman, Trump, others mm -hmm. might have that, hey, we were clinging to some legitimate legal theory here. I, I really believe the committee's done a great job of discounting that theory. Um, it's, it's really, for me, no longer just ignoring uh, truth, but rather making a deliberate choice. You know, we, we hear prosecutors on television talk a lot about this concept mm -hmm. of willful blindness. This is, mm -hmm. you know, this is more than willful blindness. Th yeah. This is a choice to do what you know is illegal, period. And I and I and, and you know so some of the things that jumped out at me that you asked about. Look, yes. I, I spent 25 years within the Department of Justice as an FBI agent, and when you hear the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, saying repeatedly under oath that he told President Trump, "There's no fraud. It's not here." He used very colorful language, right? This is bullshit. He said, right? You can't yeah. get more emphatic than that. If you choose to ignore the top lawman in the land, you know you are proceeding illegally. So, the, you know, on both fronts of possible criminal prosecution, one front being the violence and, and physical attempts to block certification of the Electoral College vote on January 6th at the Capitol, the other front being um, all these behind-the-scenes machinations to select yeah. alternate electors, to overturn state-by-state -state results. On those two fronts, I think the committee has done an outstanding job of showing there was no fraud, 
They knew there was no fraud and there was a deliberate choice. Um, and then, you know, a harder case, I will admit, a harder case to make is that they knew there was going to be violence and that there was hands-on planning of that. But I have to tell you, yeah. we were only into this by three hearings. And I think more yeah. is coming Yeah. In fact, I was going to ask you about the Proud Boys and also the Oath Keepers, because I remember when I was watching, I was watching this very, very closely from here, okay, in Italy. And I remember that in the beginning of December, um, Tadio and some of his Proud Boys were at the White House. And I kept saying, what are they doing there? Okay. And now we know, <laughs> because I mean, you know, they were planning and plotting and the whole thing, right? And, and Olga, before we got on, we were talking about also some of the connections, because Russia is also... Yeah, especially Remember? with Oath Keepers and Three Percenters. Russia, after, for those who don't know, Russia took interest in American politics around 2008 after Obama's election, and they saw the divisiveness around it and the racism come out and the insanity. Around 2000, I believe, 11, Russia latched on to the Oath Keepers and the famous Yevgeny Prigozhin, who ran the internet research um, troll farm, um, oh, actually started helping amplify their messages, creating memes for them to spread. And this has been going on over the past, you know, decade. And I think, you know, it's interesting because you have that. And it was honestly done both to sow discord and division in the U.S., but it was also to delegitimize our military because, you know, the one thing that Russia wants to do is to weaken our military, and by targeting former military members, it would, um, you know, definitely uh, helps them, as we see right now with Mike Flynn and with the Oath Keepers and all the others who were involved. Yeah, you know, you know this, uh, Olga, better than anybody, but the Russian intelligence services have always sought to um, divide us along racial lines. Um, they've had very strategic plans that have been uncovered to do this. You know, you can go back to Martin Luther King and the civil rights era. Um, but I, I think there's two aspects here that, that you touch on that I'd love to see the committee move forward with. And I believe they are. They've indicated they are. And that number one, the foreign involvement in this and the foreign influence campaigns here um, that got us to where we are. And secondly, which is closely linked, I think, financial backing and funding of the January 6th movement, the, the attempts to overturn the election. I think we're in for some revelations there. And, and they have said they are pursuing the financial end of this. So uh, with regard to Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, that would certainly be a bombshell if we found that there was foreign uh, influence and funding there. There's always been a question in my mind as to where their money comes from. Um, mm -hmm. You don't buy this kind of weaponry and get the training no. and the travel um, just on membership dues alone. Um, and of course, the big thing that everybody should become aware of is that, that we, we saw a physical encounter between Enrique Terrio of Proud Boys and Stuart Rhodes of Oath Keepers that was documented on video um, in that parking garage just before January 6th. And to me, as a law enforcement guy, I really, I, th I, th I commented on TV, you know, not to be over dramatic, but, uh, you know, if you study the mafia and uh, mm -hmm. J. Edgar Hoover, the former director of the FBI, ultimately really 
coming to the realization that he had been wrong when he kept saying, there's no organized mafia in the United States. There, there's no threat mm -hmm. there. This is a bunch of haphazard, random people. Well, 1957, upstate New York, the local police trip over a major meeting of mafioso um, in a, call, a town called Appalachian, New York, where over 100 mobsters, including 60 uh, capos, you know, different families, are all in one place having a coordinating wow. coordinating meeting. And it changed, it changed the way the FBI looked at the mafia and, and the approach to it as an organized crime threat. And I'm telling you, there, there is an analogy to what we're facing today for the domestic extremist groups and the threat they pose. They're far more organized and coordinated than we realize. And speaking of foreign influence, yeah. so uh, we all remember the Russian agent Butina who got around along among Republican circles. Um, one of her ex-lovers, mm. uh, Patrick Byrne, who was the Overstock CEO guy, um, was at the White House in late December in a meeting with Flynn. Um, discussing overthrowing the election, using martial law. He was also involved in Dominion. Um, do you think the committee has looked into this? Because we, to date, have not heard his name. And it's, you know. I have to tell you, I would be surprised if they aren't um, at least exploring Patrick Byrne and his connections. We just talked about finances, <laughs> funding, money. Right. You yeah. want to talk about yeah. the, uh, the availability of funds. You're, you're talking about someone like a major CEO with wealth, with private jets to transport people. Um, I've had some sources telling me that they think Patrick Burns uh, a private jet has been used to transport very suspect people, um, including the possibility that um, Enrique Terrio may have had a ride or two on a Patrick Byrne jet. Wow. Um, not, nothing well, definitive there, but I do think yeah. it's at least being explored. Meanwhile, on the flip yeah. side, yeah, they're looking at on that. the it's flip crazy. side, when Butino was yeah. running for Duma, which he eventually won in a very weird election in Russia, they used Patrick Byrne as a case for foreign influence uh, because he was supposedly <laughs> giving her money. And I'm like, really? <laughs> they care about foreign influence? Yeah, they cited that's that. Crazy, that uh, the communist actually tried to make a case that she shouldn't be able to Run because of foreign influence <laughs> and the investments that Patrick Byrne has made into her. And I'm like, really? Okay. Yeah. Upside down. Yeah, no, it is. In fact, in fact, seen from here, okay, I mean, I do realize probably, I mean, in the United States, this is your government. This is, no, it was a coup. It was an attempt to overthrow everything. Seen from our side over here, it looked absolutely <laughs> flipping crazy. What was going on? Okay, yes. if I can use this kind of language with you, Frank, I'm being a, a bit more you know, open here. Um, the one thing, how do we get, but it's not just the American public, it's also the European public. I think they've understood a little bit, but how do we get the American public to understand that this just wasn't, you know, to overthrow the government? I mean, here they were planning also an assassination attempt. Mm -hmm against the, the vice president that line of succession because it was pelosi too the line yeah yeah all of them you're absolutely right it's not just pence because yesterday while i was watching and i said oh my god what are these people doing you know well a, a couple a couple of thoughts here for our european friends really international friends one and and barack obama said this recently in a speech he gave 
overseas, which was, you know, we take our democracy for granted. And I think everybody yeah. does. Um, certainly yeah. Ukraine is experiencing a fight for democracy. Literally, that's existential um, to them. But uh, it's a, this is a reminder that if you're sitting back, not engaged, taking your democracy and freedoms for granted, you are making a serious error here. This yeah. democracy is a fragile experiment. It is. Um, and it can fail at any moment if it's not monitored uh, carefully. Secondly, let's understand this is not a unique American phenomenon. What happened on January 6th mm -hmm. is a reflection of a far greater global uh, movement toward authoritarianism, mm -hmm. um, toward the concept that democracy is failed, um, and, and nationalism and ex violent extremism is is certainly not unique to America. I mean, just this week, we've learned that the, the Canadian authorities uh, conducted yeah. a raid on the Adam Waffen uh, division, yeah. which is a violent extremist group that they, they had uh, in Canada. Um, this is everywhere. And, you know, when you have Fox News hosts deciding to host their program for a week in Hungary. from Hungary, um, because Hungary has become an example of what they want yeah. to be, and CPAC, Conservative yeah. Political Action Committee decides to hold their meeting in Hungary, that that should signal all of us that we are yeah. moving toward extremism and fascism and neo-Nazism. Mm -hmm. Just last weekend, we saw in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, I mean, this is, you know, middle yeah. of, you want to talk about middle America, um, yeah. at a Pride event, this is Pride Month here in the United States, we saw the violent um, neo-fascist white nationalist group Patriot Front taken down by the police, 31 arrests, because this group, again, believing their, their premise is that democracy has failed and we need authoritarianism. They were about to commit violence at a pride event. This is a global phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. No, I Can I chime agree. in just because I always have to bring Russia in? So with cool, the interesting with Adam Waffen, um, in 2011, there was an Uzbeki who was living in, by all means, looks like he was an SBR agent living inside of Moscow, who set up a foreign forum, Iron March. And this Iron March forum that disappeared mysteriously in 2017, basically pulled in all the um, neo-Nazi groups, including them, um, from across the world. Mm. And it was like one forum and it was actually dubbed the Facebook for Nazis. And it was, um, you know, one forum. So that just shows you Russia's interest in even, you know, despite their denazification claims of how they work with uh, far right groups, with Nazi groups, with, you know, ultra nationalists in order to achieve their means and help this push to destroy democracy and uh, rise to authoritarianism. Go ahead. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always mm -hmm. have to chime in with my Russia stuff. <laughs> I know. That's your your question is oh. next, babe. So oh, babe. Uh, we keep seeing the media, um, <laughs> you know, saying, oh, Merrick Garland and uh, Department of Justice are very closely watching these hearings. My question is, why would they be watching these hearings? Wouldn't the FBI have opened an investigation into this right after the uh, Capitol attack? And they have much better mm -hmm. tools yes, so, than. So yeah. yes, they yeah. do. Yes, they do. Um, and and it, there are clear indications, Olga, that we have multiple grand juries okay. sitting. Um, that mm. this absolutely is under investigation by DOJ. 
<clears throat> the FBI has has is looking at planning and, and preparations well beyond the over 800 Americans who've already been indicted mm -hmm. for their participation in January 6th. This has moved into the planning preparation phase, no question about it. But but to answer your question, look, the committee has had hundreds, hundreds of interviews of very key mm -hmm. players. And mm -hmm. why wouldn't DOJ really need to determine whether people are making statements against self-interest, incriminating themselves, um, whether or not they're they're lying to the committee and whether it, what they're saying is contrary to what the FBI and DOJ have learned already. But there's also lead, what we call lead material. There, there may well be evidence provided to the committee that simply hasn't come across the radar screen at DOJ yet. And yes, of course, they have powers of subpoena at DOJ. They can, they can arrest people for lying to the FBI. But that's all very kind of hardball um, and, and becomes very overt once you, you, you start bringing people into the grand jury and leaks start occurring mm. and you start mm. subpoenaing records from banks and phone companies, which, by the way, I think mm -hmm. is going on. Um, we know mm -hmm. it's been going on with the committee. Um, but it's good news, bad news. You know, you've got this kind of softer approach the committee has had to take um, because they lack the hard authorities. And there's almost a benefit to that because now the, the DOJ can say, let's wait and see what this person tells the committee before we go very hard, go in mm. your face, knock on the door type approach. So they, they complement each other. And just yesterday, as, as we're taping this, um, we learned that the DOJ has sent a second letter to the committee uh, saying, we really do need your transcripts now. And I looked oh. at who signed that letter from DOJ and, and why that letter has come yesterday. It came out of a Proud Boys prosecution in the District of Columbia. Uh -huh. So think about that for a second. A Proud Boys prosecution is going on in the district. The, both the prosecution and the defense agree that they need the transcripts from the committee for that Proud Boys prosecution, huh? And high-ranking officials at DOJ, including the head of national security, mm -hmm. Matt Olson, and also the head of criminal division at DOJ, both signed the letter saying, we have ongoing prosecutions where we need to see your transcripts. Wow. So a lot going on here. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, in fact, yeah, exactly. Well, that makes sense, exactly. No, yeah. said in this way, in fact, because one of the things I did want to ask, you no, know, talking about the key players, right, that you had mentioned, and that we saw yesterday, because uh, you know we had a lot of uh, high-ranking. These are a lot of people that have come forward, come forward, who have been at the hearings are high-ranking individuals that you know in the Trump administration. And the one question I wanted to ask: Well, why didn't they come forward? Before, I mean, why did they have to be subpoenaed to get in front? They all, they've all been singing like little birds. So, you know, this is one aspect to it. And is it because, because I started thinking about it, I said, well, maybe they're afraid now they're going to be prosecuted themselves. So why not cooperate at this moment before other evidence comes out and I'm going to have to defend myself? I don't know. This is my simple <laughs> way of thinking about it, but I don't know if... That's well, the I think the people, is. I mean, I, we're all asking some, some serious questions about why didn't people come out sooner? First of all, why do we have to hear this now? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, for example, I, you know, we're kind of lauding Vice President Pence for doing the mm -hmm. right thing 
saying, of course, yes, of course he did, but comma, if he had come out publicly and said, I'm being, I'm being, I'm being pressured under, under pain of, of death and, and my, you know, I'm being threatened to, that my career is over. And I want everybody to know, you know, this is illegal what I'm being asked to do. Things would have been different. Same for Bill Barr. Bill Barr, you know, resigns and writes a glowing yes. letter to Trump. Hey, thanks for exactly. serving. Exactly. Justo. Been a pleasure, yes. been a pleasure serving with you. <laughs> you know, yeah. really, really. Yeah. I, and, and, I, and I get it. I get the, the, the conundrum of trying to keep the country together, um, trying to be loyal to, to the president. And, and not knowing what's right. And of course, ego and ambition play into this. Pence mm. clearly wants to be president someday. Barr clearly wants to salvage his reputation as a conservative. And, mm. and so I get the fact that people were torn, but let's be careful about praising people as heroes when they could have come out much, much earlier. Um, I'm glad we're hearing from people now. But look, ultimately, the really the people with real criminal exposure are not showing up at the committee. And, and yeah. they are, some, some have been charged already with contempt. Um, others, uh, others will be, uh, but, and then the, the, the dilemma with Mark Meadows, the chief of staff and pr executive privilege. We've seen Peter Navarro charged with contempt. So DOJ's got their hands full, but yeah, I mean, I, I, the word hero is still oh, something no. I'm very uncomfortable with. Yeah, um, we wouldn't yeah. have had the capital yeah. attacks if they came out and told us what was being plotted. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly. It. exactly. Um, uh, exactly. Speaking of uh, that, you, you have Trump, you have Bannon, you have so many associates who are still running around. They have not been held accountable to date. They continue to plot. Bannon is literally, you know, for the past year, putting a call for every single election um, office to be taken by like the fringe right. Um, you know, how dangerous is that? Because we know Hitler failed the first time, you know, and was successful the mm -hmm. next time. Is anything being done to, you know, safeguard our elections to make sure that we do not have this type of attempt come 2024? Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, this is perhaps the most disturbing question of all in terms of our future, because things are being put in place right now that that make the future, even the midterms coming up in November, and then ultimately the election again in 2024, they put them in great, great jeopardy. Because, you know, President Trump came out a while ago when he said something that's been a quote that's been attributed to Joe Stalin, whether it's accurate or not, I don't know. But he said something like, you know, it's not so important um, how the, the vote count comes out, but rather who's counting the votes. Mm -hmm. And that is that illustrates a strategy that's being run by Steve Bannon yeah. Yeah. to put people in place at the secretary of state level, to put people in place even at the county and local level um, who are going to be registrars of voters and oversee election processes. And if you've got that in place, you can see a strategy where you don't even need to win. You simply need to create such chaos and, and question the credibility of the election process uh, in key states where people are totally confused and challenge, challenge, challenge. This has just happened recently in the primary in New Mexico, yes. where, you know, local officials saying, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think the prime, I, I can't believe the primaries. There's something wrong with these machines. If you do that across wow. the country, yeah, across. You, you have the potential for violent chaos come uh, November. Yeah, no, and he refused to certify the election, the GOP there. I mean, that's insanity, and that's, that's right. just one, like a simple taste of what is to come. It's a strategy. Yeah. It's, a, it's a plan. Yeah, it's a specific strategy. Yeah. And starting right from the school board levels. Yeah. yeah. Because they they've started right at the gra the grassroots yeah. mm -hmm. school yeah. boards. The Steve whole thing. Bannon has said we're going local. That is his strategy. We're going local. And so it's funny because the American system, the beauty of it is that it's 50 different states. Um, the federal government's not in charge of our elections. And we figured, hey, that sounds good, right? Because you you can't have an authoritarian president. Mm -hmm putting his thumb on the scale of an election and running all the machines and running the whole thing with federal employees, that could be really abused. Well, now the 50 different ways of doing it are being, and, and it's more than 50 when you go county, local, right? Precinct by precinct, yep. different voting machine company by different voting machine company. Now you have a thousand ways you can exploit um, an election. Mm -hmm. And it is, it comes down to the weakest link and they, they're going to find it. And they have found. Yeah, and Bannon is an extremely dangerous guy. I mean, he very yeah. much works, you know, alongside the ideology of Dugan, who's a fascist inside of mm -hmm. Russia. And, mm -hmm. you know, Orban, mm -hmm. I believe he worked for or was, I think he did actually get the job for Orban um, over a few years ago. So, um, yeah, no, he's extremely. And then you remember in your own Italy, he was attempting, you know, to open a far-right, like, uh, monastery uh, to have, like, a yeah. training no, camp. No, he's working. Which, thank he's, God, Italy. Yeah, I mean, he's... Finally. Yeah, no, no, no. But, I mean, he's helping Meloni, who is, you know, the, uh, the, the Brothers of mm -hmm. Italy. I mean, he's in deep with these people. So it's not, you know, like you were saying before, Frank, this is a problem of authoritarianism across the world. Yes. So I was going to, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I mean, we have a problem here too, you know, and it's extremely important. I'm actually, I'm glad and I hope that Italians are also watching what is happening because accountability is important yes. and getting this information, like shining a light on this information, mm. right, is extremely important to show that no, there is there is accountability in democracy, and I I, I truly believe um, that it could be an example for other countries as well. All right, because the United States is immoral, is moral, right? I mean, this is happening. It's happening in the states. We've lost we've lost a collective set of of values. Uh, we know we seem to no longer share the same set of values. Um, and that that's a recipe for disaster. I think one of the lessons here, and particularly for my Italian, uh, my friends in Italy, um, is how, how small a percentage of a country it takes yeah. Yeah. to cause this kind of uh, conflict and chaos. You know, what we're talking 20, 30% of Americans, mm -hmm. you know, sticking with um, a party who represents authoritarianism and lies um, and you might look at that and say, well, that's nothing to worry about. You still no, have the majority. No, because the majority is divided up amongst their own camps as well. And now we have a united 20 to 30 percent mm -hmm. that's intent on wreaking havoc. That's all it takes. So, you know, my message to other nations is don't discount that minority that's organizing and strategizing and, and threatening because it's for real. Yeah. Yeah. And it's transnational. Yeah.
it's transnational. They learn from each other. Uh, they use the same resources. They use the internet. Russia. So one thing that's posted <laughs> in the United States, exactly. Now Russia's involved like across the whole, uh, the far right uh, exactly. movements in Europe and exactly. US. Well, you, exactly. you, know, you talk about training. The, these violent extremist groups go overseas uh, from America. Mm -hmm. They go to Eastern Europe and they train together. Yeah. Um, yep. Very scary, uh, very scary proposition that these people are not only armed, but now are trained. And, and, and there is clear evidence that some of these violent extremists are in Ukraine now fighting. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, the prospect mm -hmm. of, of combat experienced uh, violent extremist Americans returning to uh, mm -hmm. our homeland after having had that kind of real life combat experience is really a, a daunting yeah. threat. Yeah. Yeah. That's another layer to it. Yep, that's another layer to it. Exactly. Speaking of yeah. Russia, I have seen, and uh, I mean, I follow the Russia side. I'm sure you know people who follow China see the same thing. I've seen a ramping up of disinformation operations targeting all our hot topic issues like transgender and um, the gas prices, inflation, uh, guns, abortions. I mean, you name it. They're trying to divide us, and they've literally I've seen over the past few weeks them ramping up their efforts. Um, and we see that they've also made a push prior in these efforts to kind of move it now from the online phase into a more violent phase. And with elections coming up, we're going to see, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly extremely worried about this summer. Mm -hmm. And apparently I'm not the only one because DHS issued a bulletin, um, a terror threat bulletin warning of domestic groups going violent and disinformation operations by Russia, China, and Iran. Um, how do we protect from this? What can we do? Yeah, no, for the, for the first time in our history, we're facing a, a simultaneous threat, um, I think, like never before. By that, I mean a domestic threat that is augmented by the, the foreign threat coming together to, to split and divide us and, and really not being able to trust what's on our social media, where it's coming from, whether it's a, a bot, a troll, whether it's Russian or China or Iranian, mm -hmm. we, we really have a, a dual, a, a kind of a, a hydra multi-headed threat that we're facing. And yes, DHS was right because when you look at the private extremist groups, Violent extremist groups, what are they talking about right now? Well, um, things that are, that are in the middle of Pride Month right now, and yes, the whole uh, anti-trans, anti-gender non-conforming thing is really reaching a crescendo. That seemed to have driven the Patriot Front in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. That, that drumbeat continues. This concept, and, and you say, well, what's the connection there? What's the connection between like a neo-fascist white nationalist group and anti-trans, anti-gay? The, the sense for the, from the Patriot Front is that our freedoms have now, um, are, are now going to be our fault, that, that, that freedom has gotten out of control, that, that we actually um, are so free that we're, we're, we're destroying ourselves with freedom. And they, they believe that's, that's symbolized in, in, in transgender uh, mm -hmm. Um, prominence and, and gay rights. They think this the whole, the whole concept of civil rights has gone too far. Yeah. Um, and the other thing DHS is watching closely is the Supreme Court 
is going to soon, if it, you know, it may happen right after we finish this conversation, um, is expected to uh, overturn Roe v. Wade. And the concern there is that there's been talk of violence on both sides of that issue, by the way. But what really gets me, if you look at the Buffalo shooting at a supermarket driven by white replacement theory, and you look at the response to that shooting on uh, extremist platforms, you know what a lot of those, those knuckleheads said was, well, I think, you know, yeah, that was a good shoot, good shooting, but he may have wasted the experience. He probably should have gone to a pro-choice protest and oh shot God. those people. And you think, okay, again, what's the connection there? And, and the connection between white replacement theory and the abortion issue, well, what these people are articulating is that we're running out of white babies, white replacement yeah. theory, right? And if you are if you are pro-abortion or pro-choice, then you are for less births in the United States. And somehow you now have become the enemy. So I think what DHS is concerned about is that what, what is anticipated is mass protests after Roe v. Wade is overturned. And those will be those protests will become soft targets for violent mm. extremists who want to hurt and kill people. We saw this actually. Uh, uh, you remember the police yeah. station that was set on fire? That it was actually yes. white yes. supremacists. Yeah, that's yeah, correct. Exactly. They that's correct. they torched it themselves. That's exactly. correct. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Although everybody comes out and says, "Look at the the horrible uh, burning of police stations." Well, they, they forget to point out who did it. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then they saw exactly. even with the supermarkets, I remember it was uh, a white guy who walked around and broke all the windows mm -hmm. at the time. And they yeah. were infiltrating Black Lives Matter, although we have the far, you know, uh, far left, left fringe part of it, too, because we have, you know, the uh, Greenwalds and the Taibis and others who mm -hmm. um, support, again, pedo pro Kremlin talking points even with Ukraine with against law enforcement against government against you know everything um so you can see you can see Olga, why DHS felt it necessary and 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 who knows all the intel they're they're seeing right that we don't mm -hmm. see perhaps mm -hmm. but saw it necessary to issue an advisory law enforcement say, saying the next few months we will be in a heightened, more dynamic threat environment. It's, um, that's, a, that's a coded way of saying things are going to get worse before they get better. And, wow. and my final wow. question, how do we protect elections? Because we know with all of this chaos over the summer, potential chaos, mm -hmm. um, and then with November, and then with you know the, uh, the far-right Republican, Bannon and Trump Republicans who are trying to attempt to take yeah. all the uh, important uh, positions in order to count the elections. And then you have Russia, China, and Iran who just want America to be destroyed and will interfere to not only take the protest more violent, but also to cause chaos around elections. What do we do to protect our elections? Yeah, it's gotten a lot more complicated. The answer to that's gotten a lot more complicated because we you know, we used to pat ourselves on the back and say, well, we've we've bolstered the state's uh, cybersecurity. We've 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 made you know, we've, we've had DHS tipping off the states, even counties saying you're being penetrated here. Fix this. Put this patch on your system. And you, you'll remember Chris Krebs, at, uh, who, who mm -hmm. headed CISA, the, the head of cybersecurity for DHS, came mm -hmm. out and said 
Um, this was the most secure elections we've ever had with regard to the last presidential election. Well, what he meant, of course, was from a cyber perspective, but now talking, continuing the theme of a multi-headed threat, mm -hmm. we don't just have a cyber threat to our elections, we have a human threat to our elections because as we said, the strategy is to place people in key positions, local, county, and state, to include state secretaries of state. So one of the solutions there is, of course, to vote. I know people say this almost cavalierly, but you've got to get out and vote for the right people. The secretary, the secretary of state position is going to become the vital position. You could argue it's more important than the governor position at this point, because they are really going to affect um, the outcome of an election, the credibility of it. And we need people running for office at county and local um, election level officials, volunteering. Uh, but also one of the things I hope that comes out of this January 6th committee is a to-do list, things, things that the committee mm -hmm. has observed in their investigation that need to get fixed. And one of them, it appears they're already discussing, is the need to fix and put enhanced security around how um, we how we select our our uh, the, how we select our electors, mm -hmm. um, whether that needs to be revamped, mm -hmm. whether it needs to largely uh, go away and start over. Um, but this notion that we could face the electoral college ratification like January sixth and think that the That's vice crazy. president one person could throw out the whole election. That, that if there's any lack of clarity there, it needs to be clarified and written in stone um, with regard to this ridiculous notion that we can we can pick other electors, um, you know, the, other than the official electors. All of this needs to be fixed. And the question is, is the will there mm -hmm. to do that in this divided country of ours? Yeah, yeah. Well, there are international efforts that are being made, I think. I was listening to um, Maria Ressa speaking with Secretary Blinken not long ago, and she was saying that in the next two years, there are going to be 30 important elections in the world. And it, the information, there's going to be a lot more, at least this is the promise that had been made. There's a lot more, let's say, I'm talking from an international level, things that could impact the elections inside the United States. Uh, there will be a lot of cross-national, cross-transnational information that's going to be exchanged because we're going to be going through an election. You guys are going through an election. And what happens in the States is fundamental mm -hmm. to two other elections that are coming up. So, you know, this is, it was an yeah. interesting, yeah. Who's in power point will change made. the fate of uh, basically in the United yep. States. Yeah. Whoever wins 2024 will change the fate not only of Ukraine, but also, but also you know, in, basically you know, oh, Europe, whether in we... lots of countries. Yeah, it's, I mean, we look, will... it's, ge it's mm -hmm. geopolitics. It'll be the stance we take toward Russia, the stance mm -hmm. we take yep. whether we support yep. Ukraine or not. The whole, the whole notion of, of being a defender of democracy uh, mm -hmm. changes depending on who's in charge. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Well, Frank... This has been so interesting. Oh, yes. do you have any more questions? Nope. No, we're done, right? Okay. I always have so, questions, but... <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. I could continue I on and on and on. <laughs> no, Frank, but thank anyway. you so much for coming on and thank you for, you know, answering these important questions and making it a lot more clear, especially for me with the media thing, with the DOJ watching, because the media makes it so like, like, 
DOJ ignored the problem the past few years and now just tuned into the hearings. And I'm like that and like they that but that's how they made it sound. I'm like that's but we're weird. all we're all impatient, right? We all yeah. have we yeah. all want short term yeah. gratification. We want somebody in handcuffs tomorrow. And um, yeah. it doesn't yeah. it just doesn't work that way. But I'm confident that they're on it. What I'm not confident on, and nobody is clairvoyant, is is if the evidence is there for mm-hmm. for Trump to specifically charge Trump. Will Merrick Garland make that very, very hard call? What, what are, what's the balance of decision-making there with the good of the country, the best interest of justice? But let's, let's get there first and, yeah. see, and see what happens. But thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for a great discussion. Thank you for what you both do to continue mm-hmm. a civil dialogue um, across the globe, which is what we need. Yep. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, Frank. Hey, everybody, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please visit our website, kremlinfile.com. This is a Bunker Crew Media production hosted by Olga Lautman and me, Monique Kamara, with executive producers Marley Clements, Jack Bryan, Grant DeSimone, Ben, Brett, and Jordi Micellis of Midas Media, with associate producers Ruby Frankel and Sarah Metz. Theme music by Oreste Camarra. Sound editing and mixing by Joy Ellett. Subscribe to Kremlin File wherever you listen to podcasts.